Hello and happy Wednesday. The Eagles are at the podium with a pre-draft presser and it's locked, loaded, and ready for you. I am your host, Rachel Prevet. Today is April 21st, and this podcast is brought to you by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. So let's get right into it. Howie Roseman, Nick Sirianni, and Andy Weidel spoke with the media earlier today and were asked a great deal of questions ranging from this year's unique draft process to the team's starting QB situation, trading back from number six, and so much more. One of the biggest takeaways was clearly the response when asked if Jalen Hurts is their starter for the 2021 season. And after Howie seemed to somewhat avoid the question, Nick Sirianni answered saying, quote, yeah, I mean, to name any starters at this particular time, we've been working with these guys for two days, right? My biggest thing is competition. We've talked a little bit about my core values. It's my second core value. It's this team's second core value. Competition is a huge thing, and we're going to have competition at every position. So, well, end quote. So the competition for QB1, if there is any competition, is on between Jalen Hurts and Joe Flacco. This wasn't the first time that Nick Sirianni jumped in to answer a question that wasn't directed at him. And I think it's safe to say that he stole the show for today's presser in a good way with his enthusiasm. But let's hear what they all had to say. Uh, a new coaching staff for you, Howie and Andy. Uh, what are some specific differences as you scout for Nick's offense and for John Gannon's defense in terms of the players you're looking for? You know, first of all, the draft process has been great uh, between the scouts, the coaches, um, all the personnel that have been in the building, and just wanted to thank everyone who's involved. It's really a total group effort inside the building to get this going for next week, and we're really excited about that. Andy, why don't you talk specifically about the question? Sure. You know, when uh, when Coach Sirianni got here with his staff, we, we got together with our with our scouts on a Zoom call and they went over and laid out with great clarity, you know, their offense, their defense, what they're about. And uh, we got everybody in sync and, and it got everybody on the same page. And a lot, of the, a lot of the work we did in the fall, you know, we, we're bringing it over and there's some carryover on, on defense, but there's also some nuances. And uh, the main thing is just getting on the same page. And I think we did that. And we had an excellent week of meetings last week where you saw the chemistry between the coaching staff and the scouts develop and really evolve. And uh, I think we're building on that. And I think what's even more exciting is that we're gonna get all our scouts in here next week in person. And, you know, we're gonna, that connection and that chemistry is gonna continue to build. And, uh, you know, it, it comes back to know, know what you're looking at and know what you're looking for. And, you know, Coach Sirianni, Coach Gannon, Coach Dyke and their staff, they did a really good job of laying that out for us with clarity. Okay, Jimmy Kemsky and then Paul Domowicz. All right, so I have a three-part question in regard to the guard position. Uh, I'll answer. I'll ask all three, and then you can answer in whatever, whatever order you prefer. So do you view Rashawn Slater and Elijah Vera Tucker as tackles or guards at the next level? Uh, number two, if you view either of those guys as guards, would they be legitimate options for you in the first round, even if there isn't an obvious starting spot sort of waiting for them on day one? And then thirdly, do you view Isaac Sayamalo as – you know, still as possible uh, heir apparent to uh, Jason Kelsey at center? And how do you factor in his versatility when you make draft decisions? 
Well, I'll answer the third part, and then, Andy, I'll hand off one and two to you if that works. Um, in terms of Isaac, Isaac gives us tremendous flexibility to take the best player at either of those two spots because he does have the uh, ability to be a good starting center. Obviously, we've seen him play guard. Um, so having a guy like that allows us to not force either of those two positions. Right, I think with uh, with Vera Tucker and Slater, you know, we're we're aware of their talents. And uh, one thing in this business, the more versatility, the more you can do, the more hats you can wear. You know, that that adds to your value, obviously. So, um, you know, where we see them, we're going to keep that within you know with our within our own discussions that we have with our staffs, but um, we're well aware of their talents and we're well aware of their versatility. Hey, Paul Domowitz and then Mike K. Yeah, question for Howie and Andy. Uh, you've got 11 picks in this draft, but five of them are in the sixth and seventh rounds where the success rate kind of dramatically drops. Howie, you used to always say that you look for one trade in a guy when you're when you're drafting in those rounds and and look for some, you know, whether it's a special teams quality, something else. What is that still the approach? I mean, how are you approaching those those picks in this draft? We're constantly trying to study the guys who've hit late, the guys who've hit as undrafted free agents, and trying to replicate that as we get into the later rounds. Uh, but the flexibility of having those picks also gives you opportunity if you wanted to move up in, in a particular round. Uh, but when we're looking for late guys, we are looking for guys who have traits. We're still looking to try to find guys who can be role players or even develop into starters in those rounds. We're not trying to draft backups. And Mike Kay and then Nick Piero. Hey, Howie and Andy and Nick. i uh, got a question for Howie and Andy. There's been a lot of criticism about how your drafts have panned out over the last few years. What do you say to those who are concerned about your draft history going into this draft and what have you learned or changed in your approach from the last few years? And then also Andy, what have you learned since taking over the job last year that has kind of changed the way you've handled uh, building the board? Well, I think the first part about that is um, we're proud of our group of scouts and our front office who have contributed to our team. Um, it hasn't always been perfect. The draft is an inexact science. I mean, when you look at hit rates throughout the draft and, where you're picking, whether it's uh, in the first round and going down less and you look at the rest of the league, it's certainly an inexact science. We're constantly striving to do better. Um, but at the same time, we have a lot of good players on this team who've been through those drafts and been part of the draft process. But this process this year with the coaches, with the scouts, has allowed us to really sit down and talk about a lot of these things and figure out the best way to maximize our 11 picks in this draft. Um, obviously, even looking forward uh, to next year and already having uh, four picks in the first two rounds, that's exciting. Uh, and we're really excited about the opportunity to add to this football team next week. I was, Nick Piero I, and then Tim McManus. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, Andy. I'd say what I've, I've learned is that, uh, you know, what I've touched on earlier is, is adjusting uh, with the new coaching staff. And, and our staff is, is as well. And uh, finding players that fit the program that, that Nick's establishing here and how I mean, we're, we're an extension of the coaching staff, ultimately, the scouts. And we want to go out and find the players that best fit this program. They're going to come in and get the ground, hit the ground and, and go. And uh, I think when you have alignment between that and, and like we had last week, you had a bunch of people talking about players, how they saw them, their viewpoint, um, and, and there's no ego involved. You're just trying to get the player right. And ultimately, that's what we're trying to do is get the player right for the Philadelphia Eagles. 
And, um, you know, when you have that, that alignment and, that, and everybody's in sync, you know, the, the great things are possible. Okay, Nick Fierro and then Tim McManus. Hi, guys. This question is really for any or all of you. Um, how have you uh, overcome the challenge of not having the scouting combine this year? Well, you know, what we were able to do this year is, our, first of all, our scouts, I, they, they, they deserve to be commended. They went above and beyond the spring going to pro days. Um, you know, COVID, scouts and their families are not immune to COVID. You know, I think it, it's touched all of us in one way or the other. And our scouts, we had great coverage. They went on the road. They got the job done. Um, those guys should be commended. Well, there were 10 of us that went down to the Senior Bowl this year. We did have the Senior Bowl. We got a lot of work done there. We, you know, typical years, we interviewed 15 to 16 guys. This year, we interviewed every player down there. So that was about 128 interviews, and we got to know those players. And we got a feel for them. And then we brought that information home. We related it to Howie and Nick, and we had Zoom interviews, follow-ups. And it was their chance to get to know them after, after we had the initial experience down in Mobile. So um, we're building with that. It's a challenge every team you know, has to face. But uh, there's no doubt we have the people here that are up to it, and uh, we're excited for next week. Just to join on that, a Andy gave the opportunity for all the scouts, whether at the Senior Bowl or at the Pro Days, to say they weren't comfortable doing that. And every single one of them said, I want to do whatever I can to help this football team. So um, just reemphasizing how appreciative we are of them. And then what we decided was because we didn't have the combine normally, like we normally do, we were going to bring the combine to Philly. And, and our coaches did an unbelievable job of taking all the guys that we would have interviewed at the combine in Indianapolis and would have had here in Philadelphia and interviewing all of those guys. And so like just a, a really appreciative uh, to coach and his staff to take all the time to do that. And we continue to do the other things that we do with psychological reports and um, do um, put ourselves in the best possible situation for next week. Yeah, and I thought that was a, I thought that was a fantastic idea by Howie to to have those meetings on Zoom. And really, what we felt like, and what we felt like is, we got a lot of work done there. Like at the combine, you're limited to how many times you can talk to them, how long you can talk to them for, and we were able to. Every player that they gave us, uh, that Andy and his staff and, and Howie and his staff gave us, we were able to get meaningful conversations, not under a time limit. It, it was just, it was just great work uh, by the scouts and by the uh, or the assistant coaches to get that work done on the players and really get to know the players. If, in, in a lot of aspects, I think uh, we got way more out of th those meetings than we do out of Indy. Well, thank you. Hey, Tim McManus and then John McMullen. Howie, it's pretty well documented at this point that the first two picks last year weren't true to the scouting board that you guys had. Wonder what we should expect this year, and have there been any tweaks to the process? Uh, I think when you talk about how you arrive at a final grade, like you're you're trying to get uh, obviously what the guys who've been on the road and done all the work done, and also get like what Andy talked about the perspective of the fit and the vision from the coaching staff because. At the end of the day, when they're on the field, they're the coaches, and the vision has to fit uh, what they're looking for at each position. Uh, and so for us, going through that last week and being able to do that and having these guys in person next week, which we, we haven't had the scouts in the building since last February? Was right. Last February. Um, I, th I think that it's been a really good process. We're really excited about the conversations that we've had, the, the difficult conversations that we've had, and 
um, having o open dialogue about some of the disagreements and how the fit is. And after that, we get back together and we talk about where those guys go on our board. So uh, I think we're all on the same page here. We're all really excited for the opportunity next week. Good. John McMullen and then Jeff McLean. Hey, Howie, to kind of follow up on that, uh, the fact that you guys weren't able to get together last year because of the pandemic, do you think that affected uh, the, the collaborative process? And also, Nick, uh, just the second part of this, this is your sort of first time uh, as a head coach. You've obviously been through this process before with other organizations, but how has things changed for you? Yeah, we learned a lot about the process last year. Obviously unique the first time that we're doing all of these uh, on Zoom, and there are a lot of lessons learned. And I, I think where we are right now is just excited about the teamwork that we had throughout this process with the coaches, with the scouts, with our front office, and uh, move for there to make sure that we have a tremendous draft this year. You know, the, the book hasn't been written on last year's draft either. So excited for those guys to get with Coach and his staff. Yeah, as far as being able to – being able to watch the entire draft class, that's the biggest difference, obviously, for me. You know, last year and the previous years, as a position coach or as a coordinator, obviously, I was, I was spending most of my time on the offensive side. And you know, what, what, was, what was really great for me is when I was watching these defensive players, it, it, it kind of, for me, it was giving the perspective of an offensive coach on what I thought of the defensive player. And that's really what Howie had asked me to do when I was looking at defensive players. Hey, what as an offensive coach, how would you game plan against this guy? Because I'm not trying to be an expert on something that I'm not. And, and so, but I had spent a lot of time watching defensive ends. I spent a lot of time watching corners um, in my career as a coach. So it was more about like, hey, here's how we would game plan against them. And as a result, I think that gave an, an opening, you know, it kind of opened Jonathan's eyes about what I was seeing and how I would attack these players. And, and as a result of that, I actually got an idea of what I felt about offensive players, even a, a, broad, a bigger uh, view of what I had of, of thoughts of offensive players. Like as I'm watching corners, receivers are sticking out or not sticking out. All right. As I'm watching offensive linemen, all right. If I'm part of me, as I'm watching defensive ends, O linemen are sticking out or not sticking out. So, right. I, I love the process of being able to watch everybody shoot. I wish I had been doing that for a long time as a, as an offensive coach, because it really did help me, uh, not only give the perspective to the defense, but also uh, of what I thought further on the offensive players. Jeff McLean and then Martin Frank. Uh, Howie, why did you trade back from number six? And what does it have to do with the quarterback uh, situation there? And, and are we to take this as Jalen Hurts is now the starter of this team? Well, the reason we traded back from 6 to 12 was because flexibility creates opportunity. And, and for us, um, having an extra first-round pick, well, when you go back and look at things that are hard to acquire, that's one of the hardest things to acquire is a team's first-round pick in the following year and, and to move back six spots. But what we really had to do is sit there and go, who are the 12 players in this draft we would feel really good about? Are there 12 players in this draft that we feel really good about? And I think that's that's what we're going to do throughout this draft. If you move back, it's because you feel like you have a bunch of guys that are the same value and you'd be really happy getting one and getting the extra volume from that pick. You know, if you move up, it's because your board kind of drops off at that point. And if you select, it's because you feel like it, it's the last player in that sort of range. And so um, when we discussed this, I think those were really uh, the things we were discussing about moving back and 
when you're moving back early, you have to feel like you're getting a premium. And we felt like uh, we were getting a premium to do that. Uh, Jeff, what was the second, uh, the third part? How I remember. To, yeah, how it relates to the quarterbacks uh, in that maybe you wouldn't have gotten one at number six. And are we to take this as an endorsement of Jalen Hurts as a starter for next season? Well, I, I'd say that when uh, we get the call and we're having the discussions with Miami and uh, we got to figure out who they're trading with to, to be able to answer their question whether we would move back. And so um, once we found out that it was San Francisco, we knew that three quarterbacks were going to be off the board in the first three picks. So it allowed us even to to lock in even more on who the guys would be that would be available at 12. Um, you know, like we talked about when we had our, our last uh, media opportunity, we're going to evaluate every player and nothing is off the table. Okay, Martin, Frank. I'm sorry, Zach. I'm sorry, it hurts, though. We didn't get an answer on Hurts. Okay. Or Nick, maybe Nick can answer that. Yeah, I mean, to say, to name any starters at this particular time, I just, we've been working with these guys for two days. Right. We've been working with these guys for two days. My biggest thing is competition. It's again, we've talked a little bit about my core values. It's my second core value. It's this team's second core value. Competition's a huge thing. Um, and we're going to have competition at every position. Okay. Martin Frank and then Zach Berman. Hey, this question is for uh, Howie, Howie and Andy. Um, if you look at the stats, uh, wide receiver and defensive back are like seem to be the lowest percentage of of draft hits and everything. And I was wondering, um, you know, why you guys feel that might be the case and, and what you can do to like overcome it as far as, you know, taking them this year, because obviously they seem to be two of your biggest needs. Yeah, I talk a little bit about wide receivers and, and the wide receiver transition in the national football league has historically been tough. Now over the last couple of years, the hit rates have been a little bit more improved. And that's because when you're talking about, the kind of coverages they're facing in college football, it's different than what's going on in the National Football League. Uh, you know, the fourth corner, maybe they may be a matchup in college football where the fourth corner who's never going to have an opportunity to play in the National Football League is guarding them in college because that's kind of a matchup where here, you know, the third and fourth quarters are, are really good players. Um, and you want to talk a little bit about defensive backs? Sure. You know, I think with the defensive backs, uh, you know, in, in this year, you're going to find these guys, history shown in, in all levels. Um, you know, we're going to find guys that come in and fit with Coach Gannon in his defense they, they require and they need. So um, we're looking forward to that. And, uh, you know, we're going to get going. We had great meetings last week about defensive backs. And, uh, you know, we got an opportunity with 11 picks, you know, to hit on a couple guys uh, next week. So uh, we're looking forward to that. And, um, you know, we'll get going here soon. Zach Berman and then John Clark. Hey, as a follow-up on the wide receivers, we've spoken to you guys in the past few years, not you, Nick, but, but both Howie and Andy, about uh, weighing college production versus you know, future projection. I, as an organization, where do you guys stand on, on that debate now? And then also, when you look at a player who might be an outlier when it comes to either height, weight, speed, how do you weigh that compared to you know, what you've seen in the past? I think the first part is good players come in all shapes and sizes. And so we're not going to discriminate based on any of those things. Um, uh, Coach, you want to talk a little bit about receivers? Sure, yeah. The, uh, you know, with receivers, it's to me, it's about how you're going to get these guys the football early on, right? And, 
do they have the skill sets of things that that um, that you can feed them early on, right? Um, so is it, and that's some of those things are like slants and and um, jet sweeps and screens and stuff like that. Do they have the skill set? that allow them to get easy touches because how we talked about it, right? The foot, college football and pro football, completely different things for that receiver out there. When it's out there on the island, right, those guys that they might not even throw at, right? A lot of colleges are saying, oh, that guy's a second-round pick. I ain't even throwing at him. I'll go over to the other side, right, because this guy over here, he's not going to get drafted, right? The, the, so there's a huge difference in the things that they have to – they have to see week in, week out, and so that and that and that's a learning curve, right? They got to get used to releasing off the ball, right? That's a big thing. Like when these when these get corners are up in their face, they got to get used to releasing off the football and winning off the football. What else do they got to get used to? They got to get used to catching the ball in traffic and catching the ball with bodies around them. Usually, there's no bodies around them, right? They get open so much that they're right here and there's no bodies around them, right? And so now they're catching the ball here, boom! The ball's getting trying to get smacked out of their hands. I, sh I shook the camera or shook the thing a little bit, I'm sorry. All right, but I'm excited, <laughs> we're talking about wideouts. So it's just a different game. And so it's, it's finding, the, it's trying to see how you're gonna get them the football early on, right? Because we've had, in my past, we've had some receivers that had some success early on because we, we, we made it an effort to say, hey, he might not be able to win at this yet, but he can win at this. Right. Or we can get him easy touches here. So it's trying to see if he can do those things that you feel like. And I just mentioned a couple of them. I don't I'm not going to try to give you all the information on these receivers, um, but what he can do early on. And then does he have it in his body as a wide receiver to win at the line of scrimmage? Right. Does he have that shake with the ball in his hands? Because you might not ever see him with a guy right up in his face. Um does he have that strength when the ball's in the air to go pluck it out of the air? So it's trying to, it's doing your best to try to see again how you're going to get him the football, and does he have the skill set that is going, it's going to require him to have when playing in the in the different type of game of the NFL. And, and this is what will happen, you know. A coach will go through a receiver and he'll walk into Andy and I, and he'll say, "All right, this is how I'm going to use them. These are the routes that I'm going to use for this receiver that you're going to see on the field." So you have a vision in your eye about how this player is going to fit, uh, which is awesome. And, and that's and that's right there is just is just how we coach, right? We are trying to explain to Andy and Howie like like how, how do we explain to our players how we want to want to play the videotape? Hey guys, let's look at the videotape. I got a screen behind me, guys. That's that's where we would watch watch tape on. <laughs> Boom! Let's watch the videotape. Here's what we're looking for. Uh, players out there, Eagle players out there. Here's what, here's what we want it to look like. Well, it's the same thing here in the scouting process. Hey, here's how we would use this player. Here's the skill set that this player has, and here's how we've used this type of player in the past. And just to expand on that just a little bit more. Hey, John Clark and then Les Bowen. Hey, this is a question for Howie. Uh, you talked about the flexibility you have with all of your picks and, and in trading back, and you have the ability to make another trade in the first round on draft night. I'm not going to ask you if you want to or plan on it, but most of the time when you do make a move in the first round, has it been something that just takes place there that night, or has there been some planning or thought going into it? No, John, you know, the, all of that planning and thought and conversations, they're happening right now. You know, we're talking to teams in front of us and figuring out, like, what that would look like because 
when you're on the clock, that's harder to do. You know, you don't want to get into a, a, a negotiation when you're on the clock, when another team's on the clock. You want to make sure that you understand that what they're looking for and what you're willing to do. So we'll talk to teams in front of us. Um, we'll talk to every team in the league. We'll talk to teams in back of us. We'll figure out what they'd be willing to do if their guy's there. Now, it's all contingent on, on a player being there, you know. Um, but we, we try to have all that homework done. And, and, John, you know this. You know, we've had the, the conversation before where the trade the trade's compensation is done before the draft. And it's like, hey, the guy's there. We pick up the phone. We say, you ready to roll? You ready to roll? And it's done. So can I ask you, do you have any possible compensation worked out? with any teams right now? Yeah, you know, I mean, without getting into specifics, we, we talk about those things. When we're having the conversations, we're saying, hey, if you want to move up, what are you thinking if you want to move back? And, I, and we made a trade already where we, we moved back and had that done. So that's what we're trying to do now in, in the week leading up to the draft is have those conversations. And if someone's saying, hey, it would take this uh, for you to move up or someone saying, I'd only trade this for you to move back, we can kind of cross those guys off the list a little bit and understand they're probably not serious bidders. You know what's kind of cool here is that the things that a, off, a coach goes through throughout a week to get ready for a game, it feels like it's the same thing that a, a general manager and the scouts go through to get ready for the draft, right? And to, to, I know you didn't ask me that question, but I'm going to answer it a little <laughs> bit here too. All right, but it's the same thing, right? It's like all the work, like if you think you're just going to call a play when the, thir- the 42nd clock starts to tick down, you're crazy, right? You ain't going to do that. You did all the work prior to the on Monday through Saturday to get ready for Sunday. It's the same thing. It's just a longer process with the draft, which I think is so cool because Howie can kind of put himself in my shoes and I can put myself in Howie's shoes. I think it's awesome. Okay, let's let's phone and then Ruben Frank. Hey, uh, my question is, I guess, for Andy and for Nick, uh, we've talked a lot here about syncing the scouts up with the coaching staff in terms of, of what's important. What can you tell us about that, particularly Nick, about what, what type of player is a Nick Sirianni player? What's important to your offense that you think you need? And we haven't had a chance to talk to Jonathan Gannon, but I wonder, you know, what are his needs defensively that might be different from what was needed previously? Hey, Les, yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, as far as, I mean, obviously talent is the most important thing, right? It's, we got to have talented players because those are the guys that go out and they make plays in the games on the line. They make the plays in the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, right? So talent. So it is looking at the, the different skill sets of guys. But like Howie said, every player comes in different shapes, different sizes, different speeds, right? They're, they're all different. It's, it is, it's, it's about finding like, okay, this guy has speed, We'll use them this way. This guy has power. We'll use them this way. This guy has that, right? So, it, and it's explaining that to the scouts. And just, again, it's the same thing. Hey, um, hey, Jalen Rieger, we want you to run this route this way. Let me show you. Here you go, right? Hey, Andy. Hey, Howie. Here's how we would use this specific skill set, whether that's running back, tight end, wide receiver, quarterback, offensive line, any position on defense, right? And but I think so again, talent, right? But talent looks different every other way, every way. But I think the things that are pretty common for good players that we've been around is it does take something that they have inside, right? It's it takes something that they have inside. And so 
one thing that we did as a, as a coaching staff and as the scouts when we were interviewing these players, we tried to figure out, you know, uh, is this guy love football, right? Does this guy, is this guy competitive? Is this guy tough? Does this guy have high football IQ? We were trying to answer those questions on every one because when you're competitive, when you're tough, when you have high football IQ, and when you love football, you're going you're gonna to take your skill talent, you're going to take your talent, everything that God blessed you with talent-wise, and you're going to maximize that. That's what we've seen. That's what we've seen like with all the players that we've coached. Like, Sometimes those guys aren't the most talented, but they, they maximize it and they pass guys' talent level. So, yes, we're looking for certain skill sets and we're trying to explain when we're looking for these skill sets, how we would use them, and then what's inside of that player. What does he have in here, right? That's huge. That's huge because that player is, again, I know I said it three times, I'm going to say it four times. That player is going to maximize his skill. And his development. And there's two things just to add on to that. I think one, like the way the coaches found out about competitiveness, because we're we're in a virtual world, they're not in the building. Um, it, it was unique. It was kind of fun to see that, and then they're ranking their competitiveness through some some games. And and coach could talk about that a little if he wants to. And then I think the second part is too when they tell us how they're using guys, it allows us to think about the value about. Is this guy going to play three downs? Is this guy a role player? And it helps us when we're putting together our board figure out exactly like what that value is going to be for our football team for their schemes, um, which helps in the grand scheme of things. And if you guys are wondering, I'll tell you, I think some of you guys are wondering, like what game? We didn't go earth shattering on these games, right? I played a couple of them at rock, paper, scissors, right? That was as easy as that. Rock, paper, scissors. Let's see how competitive you are. I'm competitive. I'm going to be talking trash to him. Did you talk trash back to me? Right? <laughs> um, Jeopardy. There's different ways to do it. It looks a lot of different ways. But our coaches got so creative with this. Like Jeff Stoutland, uh, Brian Johnson. Like they, they did just such – Aaron Moorhead. They all did a great job. Right? Uh, Tracy Rocker, Jeremiah Washburn. They all did a great job of just figuring out how to compete. Because everyone's compete looks a little different. Like, if I, I get up there, I play them rock, paper, scissors. They got a little more creative than I did at times. So, it was awesome, though, because it did anything you compete at. When you compete with somebody that's competitive, they're going to go at you no matter what, no matter what game you're playing. Last okay, game, you can Fred. play rock, paper, scissors when we get in, in person together. All right. That would be great. Okay. Uh, Ruben Frank and then Chris Franklin. Hey guys, a question for Nick uh, specifically. Uh, a lot of the young players last year talked a lot about how much they missed not having OTAs and how much of a setback it was. Um, for you, how big a blow is it not having OTAs, uh, especially with these young guys who need to learn new offense, new defense, new schemes? Yeah, you know, I think that w one thing that you're that you're that you're happy with is that everyone's in the same boat, right? And and that of of course I would love to let the players be on the field with us. Of course, like the more I can be around the players, a zoom in person, the better. Right. And especially, you know, when you get them on the field and you're able to, to teach techniques, but what we, I, you know, I, I don't want to reference Indy too much, but we really got a good, like last year in Indianapolis, we figured out ways, right? We figured out ways to maximize the online or the, the Zoom portion of it, right? We, we maximize, we, and I know we did a great job of it. Like we, 
we figured out what we were we were given a situation and we had to adapt. Huh, that sounds that sounds a lot like football. Hey, we thought they were going to play cover 3. Oh, they're playing cover 2. Adapt or or get passed up, right? Oh, we thought they were bringing this slot nickel pressure. Well, they brought the strong safety pressure the other way. Adapt or get or get whooped, right? So and and a tribute to Frank, he that he kind of got us going on that. Hey, figure out how how we're going to maximize um the learning of you know, last year in Indy, we had a new quarterback. We had to, it was we were kind of in a similar spot. We had to we had to maximize the things that that we had to do right to do as much as we could to to get everything we could out of them. And what is that? Without getting giving everything away, I mean, I'll give you a couple things, but it was it was making sure that the meetings were interactive because. Right, we're in Zoom. I'm sure not every one of you. We're in Zoom right now. I'm sure not every one of you is listening intently because there's other things going around in your basements or in your house or in your car or wherever you are. Right, and so we got to make those interactive. So when I call, hey Les, I call on you. Right, you got to answer. Right, and so it's just finding, trying to to find interactive ways to do things. Um, you know, there's a lot of different things. We have a creative group of guys. It's you know we we kind of came up and we said and we had a staff meeting. And we said. Hey, here's what we did in Indy, um, and how we maximized how we were going to learn in the Zoom uh, meetings. What else have you done, Denard? What did you do in New York, right? Uh, Jonathan, what did you do on the defensive side of the ball? I wasn't over there, right? So, and, and you you do things just like we do with the draft, right? You do it together to feel to figure out how you're going to 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 get the most out of the players. Okay, Chris Franklin, and then Elliot Shore Parks. Hey, this question is more uh, for Howie and Nick. When you look at the way the wide receiver room is currently comprised, I mean, you guys don't have that many bigger, I'll say bigger wide receivers right now. Are you guys going to place an emphasis on potentially getting like, say, a true X receiver in this draft as opposed to, say, or potentially looking at, say, another like Z type guy? Coach, let me answer. Yeah, I, I think, again, these guys come in different shapes and sizes. Um, what does an X receiver look like? Well, I've had different X's. I've had T.Y. Hilton, who was 5'9", 180 pounds. He played X for us. I've had Dwayne Bowe, who was 6'2", 220 pounds. He played X for us. I had Keenan Allen, who was 6'3", 200. And all these guys that I'm saying, T.Y. was fast. Keenan was quick, not fast. Um, Dwayne Bowe was powerful. They all played different. So it's just a matter of, can that guy do what you want that person to do on that outside? Can he? And really, when you say X, it's can he win one-on-one matchups consistently, right? So it's not – it's just who can do that? Who can win the one-on-one matchup consistently so the quarterback can take the ball, go one, two, three, four, five, hitch, throw, balls out, everybody's better in front of him because of it. He's better because it's just one-on-one out there. And that guy looks different all across the league, you know, that look, it looks different across the league, right? Antonio Brown's been that X. Uh, Julio Jones been that X. Uh, Odell Beckham's been that X. All these, all these, these guys comes and come in different shapes and sizes. Can you do what I just said? Can you win consistently one on one? Okay, we have time for two more here, so we'll end it with Elliot Short Parks and then Ed Kratz. Uh, this question's for Howie. Uh, Howie, there's been a lot of talk this offseason about Jeffrey Lurie's involvement in the draft process. I was wondering if you could walk us through maybe how involved he is, um, and then uh, during the actual draft, how heavy is his voice in making the final selection? 
Well, I think that, uh, you know, Jeffrey's involvement is very similar. It's the same as it's always been. Um, you know, he's there to make sure that he's uh, looking through our process. And if he's had any questions about why we're doing things, um, we're going to go and have those discussions about why the process looks like it does, um, why our draft board, just based on the descriptions that the coaches and the scouts are giving of this player, uh, he's taking notes on those. Uh, those aren't his evaluations. Those are based on the coaches and scouts and making sure they fit in terms of what he's looking for from that value of that spot. You know, he if we had a if we're talking about a guy in the first round and we're talking about him as a role player, you know, he may stand up and say, "Wait a minute, like is that really what we're looking for a first round pick?" He's not saying his this is my opinion. This guy's a role player or not. Um, in terms of his role in the draft room, you know, the the draft room. 90% of the time, the, the work's done. You know, it, it's all done, and you're just picking them off based on where it is. Now, you may get in a situation where you have a couple of guys and that you're trying to decide based on having them having the same grade. Um, in terms of what his role is, again, like he's listening to the conversations that we're having on there, and, and if he hears something that doesn't really make sense based on some of the meetings we're having, he may say, hey, you know, I remember in that meeting – uh, Jonathan Gannon felt like this wasn't a guy who really fit his system. I'm making something up. He may jump in like that, but he's not jumping in in terms of saying like, hey, I had this guy higher, so let's let's go and select that guy. Does that make sense, Elliot? Yep. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, we'll close it here with Ed Kratz. Hey, guys. Yeah, um, Howie, I had a question. A lot's been made about, you know, the Eagles not taking a player from the University of Alabama since 2002 when Freddie Millens came. I mean, first, why is that, do you think? And then when you look uh, at some of the decisions that you make, do you factor in a school's program or its coaching staff? And then also for Andy, this isn't a very defensive, uh, a very strong group of defensive linemen, apparently. Um, not very deep. Uh, what's your take on it, Andy? Thank you. Yeah, um, you know, I'd, I'd like to joke and say it's something about being a Florida grad with Alabama, but the reality is uh, my wife's family's from Mobile and, and they're Alabama fans. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I think we look at Alabama as a program that's incredibly well run. Um, the NFL players that come out of there are ready to play and ready to go. And um, I know there's a lot of guys on our draft board that at the University of Alabama, not only in this draft, but in a lot of other drafts. So tremendous respect for Coach Saban and what they've done there. And um, we would be excited to have players from the University of Alabama. Uh, with regard to the defensive line class, um, you know, time will tell. Time will tell with this class uh, how good it is, how good it was. And I know this, just, just the history of the draft, you can find defensive linemen on all different levels. We've got Arthur Jones and Pernell McFeel and I was at the Ravens in day three, and those guys were instrumental in helping us win a Super Bowl in 2012. So they'll be there, and, um, you know, we vetted these guys. We know these guys. We spent a lot of time with them. Coach Washburn, Coach Rocker have done an unbelievable job interviewing them and evaluating them, and we've had great discussions. So, um, you know, time will tell what this class, what it is, and uh, we'll see where the players are and uh, what they turn into. G-N.